0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Strength and Health Podcast. I'm Scott Shetler. In this episode, I want to talk about conditioning. Specifically, I want to talk about what conditioning is. I want to talk about exercises and training recommendations. I want to talk about ways to track your conditioning. And I want to talk a little bit about my own personal experience implementing conditioning as part of my training program. Now, oftentimes when we refer to conditioning, we're usually talking about somebody's cardio. It's kind of a generic term that gets thrown around Particular in the uh, mixed martial art world, you often hear commentators talking about how good or bad an athlete's cardio is based on how they're, they're performing. If they're gassing out in a fight or if they're, if they're lasting for a long time with, with uh, great energy and great power into the uh, later rounds of a fight, they'll typically say that athlete has good cardio. But again, that is kind of a generic term. When we talk about cardio, we're really talking about the energy systems required to, uh, to perform in, in sports or activities. There's three energy systems in the body that are responsible for creating energy. There's the anaerobic energy systems, which are broken down into the alactic and the lactic energy systems. And then there's the aerobic energy systems. The anaerobic energy systems are responsible for uh, shorter efforts. They're the short-term energy systems, meaning they do not rely on oxygen to create energy. In the, uh, if we talk about the anaerobic alactic energy system, which is the shorter energy system of the, the two. Uh, typically, this is responsible for large amounts of short duration acceleration. So athletes or sports that might utilize predominantly the anaerobic alactic lactic energy system, if you think like track and field, these would be your throwers, your jumpers, your short sprinters, and uh, weightlifters. Now, the anaerobic lactic energy system is responsible for medium to high-intensity bursts typically lasting in duration of 10 seconds on up to about two minutes depending on who you ask athletes that require a large amount of work from this energy system would be athletes like football skill players middle distance runners soccer and other field athletes as well as combat athletes now the aerobic energy system is the longer term energy system and this one requires oxygen to create energy uh, this this energy system takes much longer to overload, unlike the uh, anaerobic energy systems. Typically, athletes that utilize the aerobic energy systems are going to be more of your distance sports. So if you think of like marathon runners, triathletes, you know, athletes that are participating for long-duration efforts. Now, I, I think it's really important to mention that most sports require a mixture of energy systems. Very few sports are 100% solely in uh, one energy system, unless you're talking about the extremes. So typically it's just the sports requiring the anaerobic alactic lactic energy system. This would be like your throwers that I mentioned a minute ago, your jumpers and your weightlifters. But it could even be argued that those athletes would need uh, aerobic development to recover in between bouts. Not a high level of, of aerobic development, but on some level they would need some aerobic energy systems development simply for recovery. Uh, so again, I think it's important to note that most sports require a mixture of energy systems. Now, the percentage varies depending on the sport and then the position within the sport. I mean, if you think about a sport like hockey, a goalie is going to have different energy system requirements than, you know, say, say a, a forward who's who's doing a lot more skating, and expending more energy uh, throughout the uh, throughout the the game or the competition. So I think it's important to note that it is individual specific or position specific even within a sport sometimes so again most sports require or or most athletes in sports require a mixture of energy system development just again depending on their position within the sport I want to talk a little, little, bit more about the aerobic energy system. I know I got sidetracked a little bit there, but I think the aerobic energy system is uh, is very overlooked uh, in most sports, and that's really got a lot to do with the the state of the fitness industry over the last few years. You often hear aerobic activity being bashed, you know, meaning that you might hear people say that it's going to eat up all your muscle mass, it's going to slow down your gains, uh, it's going to make you weaker, and uh, that's not necessarily the case. In fact. It's often a good idea to have some level of aerobic energy system development, even if you are participating in a power sport like weightlifting or powerlifting. Uh, it's not cool to get to those uh, final deadlifts in a powerlifting meet and be gassed out and you can't even go, uh, go make your last lift of the competition. So, you know, you hear these, uh, you hear these stories about weightlifters who will drive golf carts, you know, around the training hall because they don't want to even walk to lunch because they're afraid of expending energy. You almost get this like superstitious feel. Uh, for, in, in the powerlifting community, you know that that people they, they want to minimize their energy expenditure at a meet or or the weeks leading up to a meet because they want to save it all for that lift. But I mean, if you're worried about walking, you know, down the street, or if you're worried about you know walking to the bathroom at a powerlifting meet, you're it's it's not good. All right, so you you should you should be a little bit better conditioned to help yourself recover in between those efforts. So again, I got a little bit sidetracked there, but. Uh, the aerobic energy system, again, is pretty overlooked and it's responsible for increases in cardiovascular fitness. So it improves your cardiovascular fitness by increasing your capacity to use oxygen. And it does this by increasing the heart's capacity to send blood uh, carrying oxygen to the muscles. So that's a major benefit of aerobic training. So even again, even if you're not a marathon runner or a triathlete or an endurance athlete, you can stand to benefit from doing some aerobic activity and creating some sort of aerobic capacity, even if you are a strength or power athlete. Obviously, the amount of time you spend training on aerobic activities is going to be much different if you're participating in a power power sport or, or power athletics, but I just wanted to make sure to uh, include that note in there. But uh, anyway, going back to the uh, to the aerobic energy system, uh, the results of improving your your Cardiac capacity, or cardiovascular capacity, or cardiovascular efficiency—it uh, typically results in a lower resting heart rate, a lower working heart rate, and a lower recovery heart rate. So you're basically able to to do uh, more work or have more output uh, at lower heart rate levels. Uh, this recover, this improved recovery is crucial for all sports. Um, you know, like I mentioned about the the weightlifters who are scared to even, you know walk around or expend energy doing, doing just menial activities. I mean, that that's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so it's important for, uh, it's important for health and it's important for, uh, recovering in between bouts of high level, uh, power activities or, or exercises. So like I said, I just want to repeat this one more time. If you're a strength strength or power athlete, it's a good idea to have a little bit of an aerobic foundation. You don't need to spend all day running long distances and, and you know, training for a marathon, but doing a little bit of uh, cardiovascular training to improve your aerobic capacity will be, would be a, a very, very good thing. Now, when we talk about a, a aerobic training or aerobic capacity, uh, we talk a little bit about heart rate variability. And uh, I just wanna talk just briefly about this because this is not my area of expertise, but it is something that I've exposed myself to, primarily through the work of uh, Joel Jamison Uh, originally through his BioForce heart rate variability program and now his Morpheus uh, program. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about these tracking methods uh, a little bit later in the the episode. But I did want to mention a little bit about what heart rate variability is because it's become uh, kind of a buzzword in, in the conditioning world nowadays. And basically what heart rate variability is is variation in the time interval between heartbeats. Okay. And this is measured by the variation in the beat to beat interval. All right. So that's, that's basically how you're, you're tracking your HRV. Now there are different methods of track or or different programs out there that track HRV and each one uh, that they're not all the same. So uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about heart rate variability and tracking methods, I'd recommend looking at the work of Joel Jamison, but there are other programs out there that do monitor uh, heart rate variability. I just, I've used both his BioForce and I'm currently using his Morpheus program now and I think they're absolutely brilliant for uh, tracking your HRV and making sure that you're in an optimal state of recovery uh, for training all the time. Now one of the things is as you improve your uh, aerobic capacity you become more aerobically fit. Like I mentioned earlier your heart rate is going to drop. Your resting heart rate is going to drop. Your working heart rate is going to drop. Your recovery heart rate is going to improve and as a result your HRV is going to improve. So as the, as the heart rate gets lower, the HRV increases. Now, Joel has discussed uh, at length the link between a uh, higher high HRV score and uh, many of the health markers. He's uh, been a guest on various podcasts that I listen to, and I think uh, when he was on Mark Bell's PowerCast, he talked a little bit about the link between uh uh, heart rate variability it, having a good heart rate variability score in things like uh, reduced inflammation and just improved uh, health as a result uh, but in general he made the comment that a uh, high HRV is linked to longevity so generally it's the more aerobically fit athletes you see that typically have a high HRV uh, and that higher HRV score is linked to uh, to greater longevity now you know everybody likes to pull out that example of the marathon runner that dropped dead at age you know 40 right at the end of a marathon or you know something extreme like that but you know i think you can't use an isolated event like that to uh to to be the uh to to be the norm all right uh, I think if you look at the vast majority of endurance athletes, even at the recreational level, they aren't are not all dropping dead at the end of a race. So it, it, you, know, you know when we talk about cardiovascular training or we talk about aerobic training, you always have some somebody who brings up that yeah, well, what about you know such and such who who dropped dead after an ultra marathon or a marathon or something like that. So I, I, I don't you know just like anything, you can't use the exception to uh, to prove the rule so just keep that in mind you know when you start talking about aerobic training or or if uh, the topic comes up and somebody brings that up those are usually more isolated incidents Um, but through the work that joel's presented uh, he's definitely said that uh, generally the more aerobically fit the athlete is the higher the hrv score and higher hrvs are generally linked to greater longevity now Are we talking about extremes? You know, I'd say probably not. You know, I don't think you have to be an ultra marathon runner in order to gain the benefits of of improving your cardiovascular fitness and improving your uh, HRV. In fact, I'll talk a little bit about my own personal results uh, with using HRV to track my progress. But I I read an article recently, and I don't have any scientific data. Uh, Nothing was. Cited in this article, this is probably more author speculation than anything, but it sounded pretty good to me. Um, but what, what this article uh, said was how much aerobic activity is needed for, for just good health and, and, and good cardiovascular fitness. And the article presented the idea that about the average training mileage of your typical 5K runner, which comes out to be somewhere between about 10, 10 to 30 miles a week of training. Uh, so that's probably about right for decent improvements in aerobic fitness without having to go to the extremes. Um, I think, uh, you know, when we talk about, and when I say the, the training volumes of a 5K runner, I don't want you to think that I mean that you just have to go out and run. I know some people, higher impact exercise like that is not uh, preferred. They might have joint injuries or they might have issues with, you know, their knees or something like that that prevents them from going out and running. So we're going to talk about modes here in a minute, but that was just to give you an idea about how much aerobic activity is right on target for somebody looking to make improvements in their, their cardiovascular fitness uh, as it relates to health. Uh, so that was just to give you an idea of the training volumes. But I think it's important that you know we have to differentiate a little bit you know with the goals of implementing cardiovascular or conditioning uh, cardiovascular training or conditioning program. So if we're talking about athletics or we're talking about an athlete, it's first and foremost you need to understand the energy system requirements of your sport, okay? Like I talked about earlier, every sport has different energy system requirements and even positions within the sport have different energy system requirements. All right, so first and foremost, you've got to understand what those requirements are for your sport and your position within the sport. And basically you're working on the spectrum of on one end we have the the need of the need for aerobic capacity specifically for recovery in between, excuse me, in between higher intensity or higher uh, output bouts. So that would be like a, a weightlifter needing to be, be fully recovered in between attempts or a sprinter that needs to recover. You know, they're not utilizing oxygen, uh, during the, the event or during the lift, but they need the oxygen, the aerobic capacity for recovery. For recovery after the bout. So that's what we have on one end. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have sports and athletes that rely specifically on the aerobic energy system for performance. And that would be things like your marathon runners, your triathletes, your longer duration uh, endurance athletes. And then of course, in between that, we're mixed energy systems at different levels, depending on the sport and the position within the sport. So you need to understand how that relates to your individual sport and your position within the sport in order to uh, determine the training protocol that you're going to implement. You know, how much energy, how much uh, training volume are you gonna put into aerobic training? How much are you gonna put into anaerobic training and, and, and so on and so forth. But that's very specific to the individual athlete. And, you know, a lot of athletes need to establish that aerobic base before they build on to the, uh, to the anaerobic training. So it's just something to keep in mind when we're talking about the training of athletes. For the health and fitness enthusiast, most people uh, who are looking to get into shape, I'd recommend focusing on building your aerobic capacity first, and then focusing on increasing your anaerobic threshold and working in higher intensity outputs. Um, in general, I usually recommend about three to four lower, in, lower to moderate intensity aerobic training sessions per week, and then one to two higher intensity uh, anaerobic training sessions. So the lower intensity aerobic sessions, this would just be more steady state uh, cardiovascular exercise, where you're keeping your heart rate within a certain range, and then your uh, anaerobic energy or your your anaerobic, your higher intensity training, that'd be things more like intervals or or stair sprints or something like that, where you're you're trying to work at a maximal heart rate for a certain period of time, uh, and then follow that up with a period of recovery before moving on to another interval. Uh, different modes of training. I know I talked about, you know, a minute when I was talking about the, the training volume for uh, improvement in aerobic uh, capacity and aerobic fitness. I did make the point that not everybody needs to go out and run or not that everybody can go out and run. So I just want to present some of the different modalities that, that we use with our cardiovascular training and conditioning program. But basically, it's any repetitive movement that keeps your heart rate uh, in a certain range, depending on what the, uh, on what the uh, goal of the training session is. So, of course, you've got walking, running, jogging, you know, just things that you can do outside. But we also have to keep in mind that those do create impact forces on the body that somebody might not be able to tolerate, particularly if they got bad knees, hips, or a bad lower back. So you may need to implement something more like a cardiovascular machine or swimming. So you've got your cardiovascular machines that you typically see in the gym, these are things like your elliptical trainers, your treadmills, your stair climbers, your step mills, um, things like your uh, if you have those uh, versa climbers. Um, so so just just basically your typical uh, your typical gym machine, your rower, and things like that. Um, cycles, stationary cycles, your your uh, upright cycle, your your uh, recumbent cycle, and, and and such. So those are t- examples of, of machines you're typically going to find in the gym. You know, then in addition to your outdoor activities, like you're running, you're walking, you're jogging, you also have swimming, you've got outdoor cycling. Some people like to get outside and exercise in the, in, uh, you know, fresh air. They like to be out in nature, and that's definitely a good thing. Um, you can also use uh, lightweight activities for your conditioning. Walking with a weight vest is very popular. Um, you can do very light kettlebells or, or club swinging activities. Again, as long as you're getting your heart rate up to a certain range and keeping it, uh, in order to elicit the, uh, adaptation for the training goal, uh, light kettlebells and club swinging can be used. Pulling and pushing sleds is another popular activity. when we're talking about using various weighted implements for conditioning. And it can also be a combination of all these, you know, you don't, you don't just have to go out and run. You can mix up your, uh, particularly if you're trying to work at different intensities, if you're doing more lower intensity or you're going to do something more higher intensity, you know, if you want to do something a little bit higher intensity, doing things like, like, uh, kettlebell swings, uh, sled pushes or sled pulls, you know, uh, stair sprints and things like that. It's really, it's a lot easier to get your heart rate jacked up. Whereas if you're trying to keep your heart rate a little bit lower for a longer duration, you're really not going to be able to go out and do sled sprints and keep that heart rate low. So you're going to, you're going to have to choose a modality based on the goal. So it's just something to keep in mind. And I want to present some of the different modes of cardiovascular training. I want to talk a little bit about uh tracking your your uh your heart rate or or different ways to monitor your heart rate during training uh g- basically the general recommendations if you're trying to improve aerobic capacity keeping your heart rate in the range of uh, 130 beats per minute at the lower end up to about 150 or maybe even 160 beats per minute at the higher end staying in that 130 to 150 or 160 range is usually for, for uh, a longer duration typically 30 to 45 minutes or longer is usually the preferred method for increasing aerobic capacity for anaerobic training. We're typically looking at higher outputs for shorter durations, uh, where you're going, you're maintaining as high a heart rate as possible for durations of typically 10 seconds at the low end, on up to two minutes. Again, depending on the goal and depending on if you're trying to, to, to train your anaerobic alactic lactic or anaerobic lactic energy systems. Um, but this is going to typically be some sort of interval training where you go all out for 10, 10 seconds on up to two minutes, and then you follow it with a period of recovery. Uh, the duration is going to be based on your goal, and as far as like how many intervals that you, you know, should you implement in your training session, you want to start small and you want to increase your intervals over time. It's just like weightlifting, you know, you don't start out bench pressing 300 pounds. Uh, you have to start out. Uh, building up the specific capacity so a lot of times depending on the length of the interval we'll typically start with anywhere from three to four intervals at the lower end up to about six rate at the higher end and then we usually try to build up to uh, somewhere about 10 to 12 at the lower end or maybe uh, uh, 15 to 20 at the higher end again it depends on how long the intervals are if you're implementing shorter intervals like like 20 to 30 second sprints followed by a, a 30 or a 40 second recovery period or 60 second recovery period you'll probably get away with doing more intervals than if you're doing longer duration intervals, like say two minutes all out, followed by maybe a five minute recovery. You might only be able to do two, three, maybe four intervals like that in a training session. So a lot of it is goal specific, but these are just some examples of anaerobic training methods. Then if we're talking about restoration, typically you're going to train with your heart rate at the low end of about 100 beats per minute. Uh, up to about 120 or 130 beats a minute at the higher end. And this is going to be more for recovery, like if you're trying to recover from a, you had a hard workout the day before and you want to go in and just get a little blood flow and do a little bit of a kind of stimulation activity. You don't want to train very intensely that day, but you just want to do something to help facilitate recovery. Training in a lower heart rate range of about 100 to 120 or 130 beats a minute is usually uh, preferred. So again, those are just some general recommendations if you want to get a little bit more specific about it though, like I'd mentioned earlier about these different tracking these these HRV tracking methods uh, I've had a lot of experience with uh the applications that Joel Jameson has brought to the to the training and conditioning industry, specifically, I used his bioforce HRV and I'm now using his Morpheus uh, program and i got to tell you, Morpheus is hands down one of the best training aids I've ever, uh, I've ever used. Uh, Morpheus monitors, it tracks mainly your uh, heart rate variability and your resting heart rate through a test that you do every morning. But it also takes in other inputs such as uh, daily activity, the daily training sessions sleep and then it also asks you various qualitative questions and it does this to fine-tune your recovery score. So you input all this data and then every morning you do a uh, recovery test and based on the data that it's collected as well as the recovery test, your HRV and and resting heart rate, it gives you your daily recovery score. Now based on this recovery score, it's going to give you recommendations for heart rate training zones based on your level of fitness. So it really takes all the guesswork out of training for you so you know based on your daily recovery test what type if if you're if you're going to be able to tolerate higher intensities and greater volumes or if you're going to need to go in and do a little bit more uh restorative and recovery work so again that morpheus is hands down one of the best training aids i've ever used and it really helps keep your training optimal because you might not be in a great state of recovery but if you don't you know feel too bad you might go in and trash yourself when your central nervous system isn't totally recovered. and You're not gonna know this if you're not tracking your uh, heart rate variability. So HR, this HRV device, uh, specifically Morpheus from uh, Joel Jameson has been just, just a great way to keep, uh, keep my training optimal. And I've got many of my clients and athletes have been using Morpheus with great, great results. So if you're, if you're looking for a uh, uh, monitoring device I recommend Morpheus, again, it's, uh, I think, trainwithmorpheus.com is Joel's website, but if you just look up Morpheus Recovery, you should be able to find it on Google. Um, he, uh, In addition to the device, he's just on top of making improvements and updating the app, as well as getting user feedback for things that they're trying to do in the future. So if you're looking for some sort of tracking device, again, Morpheus is the way to go in my opinion. So I just want to talk a little. I want to wrap this uh, episode up by talking a little bit about uh, my specific, uh, <clears throat> my specific results by implementing conditioning in my program. And I know, you know like we talked a little bit earlier, particularly in the world of strength and power sports, conditioning is almost uh, uh, looked at as a as a weakness. And, and I don't think that's a good thing. But uh, I decided a while back that I needed to get serious about my conditioning, mainly uh, for health purposes. Uh, and I wanted to be able to recover from my, my training sessions well, and I, I just wanted to get more out of my training sessions. You know, I'm not a super high-level athlete, and I'm not going to do what it takes to be a, uh, a pro-level powerlifter or anything like that. So I'm really training for for health, longevity, in addition to strength, which is uh, why my uh, podcast and my my blog and my, my video blogs are all, I, I call it my my strength and health podcast. That's this idea that I've taken where, Uh, we want to be well-rounded. So again, this isn't for the extreme athlete. This is for somebody who's trying to improve all areas, all qualities, and just, just be as healthy, strong, and fit as possible. So I decided that my conditioning was lacking, and I really wanted to put some effort into improving it. So this is... Uh, how long ago now? Maybe uh, maybe about a year ago now, and and I decided I was going to start getting a little bit more serious about my conditioning. Because I, I I dabble in conditioning on and off, and when I say dabble in it, I'd maybe do some sled pulling at the end of a strength training session, or I'd do a little bit of kettlebell training, or actually when I was competing in kettlebell sport, I did put a little more emphasis on my running uh, to aid in in the performance of uh, uh, the the kettlebell co- competing that I was I was doing uh, the the kettlebell sport lifts which are a little bit more uh, aerobically intense than uh, your typical strength sports like powerlifting or weightlifting. But again, I, aside from that, I didn't really have much of a of a continuous or, or specific conditioning program. So about a year ago, I decided I wanna get my conditioning a little bit more serious and start tracking things like my heart rate and heart rate variability. So I bought a good heart rate monitor and I started out using Joel Jameson's uh, BioForce HRV program, which was the predecessor to Morpheus. And basically what the BioForce did is it just tracked your heart rate variability and your resting heart rate. Um, and then you kind of had to take that data and use that to uh, formulate what you were going to do. So you, you need to learn how to interpret that data. And he put out a great manual with the BioForce, The Ultimate Guide to Heart Rate Variability, which really helps you understand what HRV is as well as training impl- impl- implications. Um, but then when you know, Morpheus came out, it really started taking a lot of the guesswork out of it. So I'd use, uh, I used the bioforce for about three or four months, I think. And just to give you an idea where I was, my, uh, my resting heart rate was clocking in between 65 at the low end and 72 at the high end. And my HRV score, uh, when I was tracking it with uh bioforce, the very first test I ever did, my HRV score was 74, which wasn't outstanding, but it wasn't bad either. Uh, 70s was kind of like Maybe average, I guess. You know, based on uh, what I remember reading, the ultimate guide to HRV manual. But uh, higher level endurance athletes and stuff were were clocking in with HRVs in the high 90s, even low hundreds, based on the way Bioforce measured your HRV. Now Morpheus measures a little bit differently, so you can't really compare the two scores. You know, you, you can't really draw a line between your uh, your Bioforce score and your Morpheus score. They're just two different ways of of determining your HRV score. So. When I moved to Morpheus, you know, things changed a little bit. But again, my, my first test on BioForce, I was about a 74, and my test ranged as I got more conditioned. Uh, 60 when I was in a low state of recovery was typically my lower HRV score. And when I was a little bit more recovered, uh, I, I had scores as high as 92. Um, but my average was right between about 70, 75, and 80 as far as my BioForce HRV score. When I switched to Morpheus, my range for my my heart rate variability test has been between 80 and 85, and my best test so far has been 89. Uh, my heart rate though, my resting heart rate, and this is where it's, it's been huge improvements just with even a little bit of conditioning. I went from that 65 to 72 range, 65 at the low end, 72 at the high end, to clocking in right about 55 to 57 is my average resting heart rate. And I've even been as low as 49 a few times when I wake up and I do my recovery tests, So my resting heart rate has improved dramatically and it didn't require a whole lot of effort on my part. Uh, typically I do about three to five conditioning, uh, workouts a week. Most of it is geared toward, uh, cardi- improving cardiovascular fitness or improving cardiac capacity. And generally I might do a little bit of running. I might do a little bit of sled pulling, or I might do a little bit of walking with a weight vest. And then also I've, I've worn a heart rate monitor during my Tai Chi practice. I've, I've been studying, uh, the internal martial art of Tai Chi Chuan for about seven years now. And uh, when I I train particularly various like like Chen style Tai Chi, which is a little bit more dynamic, I have uh, clocked heart rates, you know, right in about the 125 to 135 range. So there's definitely, you know, benefit from from 60 to 90 minutes of uh, my Tai Chi practice uh, daily as well. So when it comes to conditioning, you know, aside from my martial arts practice, I'm really doing about three to five conditioning sessions a week where like I said usually I'm mixing in some sort of running whether it's outside or inside on the treadmill or some elliptical you know maybe some rowing or maybe some sled pulling or some kettlebell work but that's really the extent of it I don't spend a whole lot of time doing it my conditioning sessions range from about 20 minutes at the lower end to about 30 to 45 minutes at the higher end um, and then like I said you know my, my Tai Chi practice will sometimes be 60 to 90 minutes or more a day where I'm keeping my heart rate in uh, in in a range of about a hundred at the low end to about 135 at the high end. So between all these different types of training, I'm really getting a lot of aerobic capacity development and I'll try to make sure that one or two of my sessions, if I'm, if I'm doing five or six sessions a week, I'm going to make sure one or two of the sessions is a little bit higher intensity. So I'm, I'm pushing that anaerobic threshold a little bit, but it took me a while to work up to that. I didn't start with anaerobic training. I just started out with more aerobic capacity training for the first few months that I was, uh, Focus on on my conditioning program, and then I started to work in the higher intensity stuff uh, a little bit later on down the line. So, I kind of follow my own recommendations from earlier, where I do about three to four uh, lower intensity aerobic training sessions per week, and I do about one or two higher intensity sessions a week. And you know, I, I'm not out training for a marathon or a triathlon or anything like that. And I've seen some huge results with my uh, with my resting heart rate improving, my heart rate variability score. And, uh, just overall feeling a lot better and recovering better in between higher intensity, my, my weightlifting and higher intensity training sessions. So, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I just wanted to, uh, talk a little bit about conditioning. I know the last couple episodes, we've talked a little bit more about strength, but I wanted to spend these first few episodes of the podcast talking about the different tenants of what would make up a strength and health program. And I know I talked about it earlier on, but there's things like strength, uh, conditioning or cardiovascular training, nutrition flexibility and mobility. There's there's many things that we have to incorporate when we're talking about developing a strength and health program, and conditioning is a big part of it. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and and hopefully it'll make you look at what you're doing as far as your conditioning or your cardio training program, and it'll help you evaluate it and see if there's anything that you're you're maybe lacking or or maybe you're getting it all right on. But uh, again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can Direct any questions to me at my email, uh, scott at eptsgym.com, which I always try to include in the show notes, or you can follow me online at www.eptsgym.com, which has links to all my my private website at scottsheller.com, my social media pages that I'm active on. So it's pretty easy to get a hold of me if you want to uh, ask me any questions about this or any other episodes, or if you've got suggestions for future show topics, I'd love to hear them, or just any comments or feedback in general. So again, I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this episode and until next time, stay strong and stay healthy.